Today's podcast is brought to you by the newest sponsor of the Hail to the District podcast, and that's Wildberries Bakery and Cafe, located in beautiful Frederick, Maryland, just about 30 minutes north of the district. Now, guys, I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you want to do something nice for your wife or your significant other, or you need a surefire way to get out of the doghouse, skip the cliched flowers, the crappy little present that she's never going to use or wear, and give her what women truly love, and that's dessert. Wildberries has an incredible variety of gourmet desserts made in-house by the professional pastry chef who owns the bakery. You can choose from French pastries, handmade chocolate truffles, fresh homestyle cookies, a whole mess of cheesecakes and pies, and some of the very best cakes in the entire Washington, D.C. area. And for the chocolate lovers out there, I strongly recommend the bacon chocolate truffles or the triple chocolate pie. You will lose your damn mind. So make a trip up there, and I promise you it's so worth it, and tell the chef that you heard about Wildberries from the Hail to the District podcast and receive 10% off your next order of $10 or more. For more information, visit www.wildberriesbakery.com. That's www.wildberries.com bakery.com or you can even give them a call at 301-620-7695 for more information welcome to the hail to the district podcast with your host rajan nanavati welcome everyone to another edition of the hail to the district podcast i'm rajan and i'm joined by my buddy john here today to finally talk some football or more specifically, to talk about some Redskins football. Now, I know the regular listeners of the Hail to the District podcast know we've talked a ton of Wizards and NBA to date, but speaking for myself at least, football is really where my heart's at, so I could not be more excited that the season's basically underway. So again, I'm rejoined by my buddy John, who I've talked to football with for shit John going on two decades now, something like that. Yeah, probably since I think like mid nineties. Yeah, we're talking like the Norv and Gus and that type of era. That's when that's really when this uh confab of Redskins football and NFL football in general has really began. So uh Back when Trey, I was a Heath Schuler fan. Back when we were Heath Schuler fans. I was always on the Gus bus and since that preseason game against Buffalo in ninety four. Yep. Yeah, when he was throwing to God, I can't remember. I think it was Stephen Hobbs in that in making sweet, sweet fourth quarter garbage time magic. The only one I remember is Titus Winans. Titus Winans, second or third round pick in the Schuler draft. That was another yeah. one. Yeah. Uh, so with Redskins training camp officially starting late last week, we're putting together a two-part Redskins 2016 primer. Um, we'll talk about the defense and all the changes on that side of the football today, and then maybe some offense in our next episode. Uh, given that, we'll start off touching on some of the more disappointing news from last week, and that was Junior Gallette blowing out his Achilles tendon. And I, it really comes down to two things. I mean, yes, the argument was there that we never really had Junior Gallette to begin with. It was always an upside if he managed, if he came in and if he actually managed to play. But you tell me, would you rather have three good pass rushers, especially from all accounts, Gallette looked like he was primed to really come back and have a big season, or would you rather really just have Ryan Kerrigan and Preston Smith by themselves? You always want three. I mean, that's how... There there are two ways to have a successful season, and one is to have great depth, and the other one is to be lucky. So, you know, they, Gallette gave them depth. The The thing that was funny is, is you know, this is a contract year for him. Yeah. And so this was – it was either put up or shut up, and I, I'm afraid with this injury, does he even get another chance anywhere? So there's a couple of interesting points to that. Um 
John Gruden, John Gruden, Jay Gruden, can't believe a Freudian slip there. Uh, Jay Gruden in the, his first introductory press conference of, of uh, training camp mentioned he referenced Leon Hall, who actually blew out both of his Achilles tendons. And for the last season or two, played really well for Cincinnati. Um, he's actually holding out for more money right now in Cincinnati. But otherwise, he was a Pro Bowl-level cornerback at a position that requires a lot more fast-twitch uh, movements. So I think, and based off reading the tea leaves and based off, I think, some of the comments Galette made this weekend that he really, really wants to stay here. And he's really, you know, he's got that big Redskins tattoo that he made despite never actually playing, or that he got despite right. never actually playing it down for us, that he really wants to be here. I think McLuhan is still going to look at a, look at him as a guy who will bank on another one year deal. That's where my gut feeling is. Um, it just really sucks because, again, I said, would you, would you rather have a rotation of Galette, Kerrigan, and Smith, and potentially finding the way to get all three of those guys on the field? Uh, I mean, in there's two real things in today's NFL that you need to succeed. You need great quarterback play. I think no matter what, that's obvious. The number one, and then really the ability to get after the passer, to get after the passer, or to rush the passer. I mean, that's really how the Broncos won the Super Bowl last year. Yeah. The Broncos didn't win the Super Bowl on Peyton Manning or whatever Brock Osweiler's eight games. Like they played because Von Miller played like a demon or a bat out of hell. That's how they got there. He single. That's how the Giants won their Super Bowls. Yeah. with their pass rush, and that's the, how they beat Tom Brady. The first Super Bowl, what Eli played, like, very mediocre, if that. They just had four guys who could, you know, get after Brady, and then Brady also had one really bad ankle that nobody knows about. But other than that, yeah, they made his life hell, which was great. Um, by all accounts, you know, Kerrigan is Kerrigan. He's going to get his. He's going to get his eight to 12 sacks in that neighborhood. He's given for that. He's going to give a high effort. He's going to... You know, give you everything he has, and a lot of people are really high on Preston Smith this year. Everything right. you read is like he's, you know, he's toned up his body. He's looks really good. He's kind of the light switch has gone on. There was always a lot of upside with him coming out of school. That look, the guy's got the tools. He's got the size. Um, he just really needs to figure out how to work. And based off some of the veteran leadership, which we're going to touch on in a second, that kind of helped mold him as he got here. Uh, they're expecting a lot of great things, but. Again, it's just really would you rather have three guys who can really rush the passer or two? Because past Kerrigan and Smith, there really isn't anybody else. Right. I mean, well, didn't Preston Smith at least get him eight sacks last year? Preston Smith had eight sacks last year. That's not bad. And he wasn't even playing a very predominant role until the last half. He had all rookies in sacks. um, Yeah. And for, as you said, kind of a reserve uh, rotational pass rushing guy. So yeah, no, he's very encouraging. So I was actually looking forward to to this team because you know, as we're going to do later, you start breaking down the positions and you look at the strengths and the weaknesses, and you thought with Galette starting and Kerrigan starting, and then you you throw this wild card come in on off the off the bench you, who you think is going to be a very capable pass rusher, you you're, you start gaining some confidence in this defense being you know an a. Not necessarily top ten, but maybe top fifteen defense, right, perhaps. Uh, uh, the right side of the mid of the average right. defense. So yeah, no, I, I mean that was, uh, yeah, it is very very disappointing, very unfortunate, and I really don't see any options. Um, yeah, on their roster have, currently. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, Willie Jefferson having a great day one and stuff like that. That's a nice training camp story. Um, those are the Sultan McCulloughs and who was that other running back that everybody had been hard on for in the like the 2000s? They're like, oh, this guy's the next, 
you know, whatever, the next Barry Sanders. And it's just, it's, it's nice training camp stories. I don't really know what we're going to get out of him. And Houston Bates and Shiro Davis, that's, those are nice depth names. I think those are rotational right. guys, special teams guys at most. Um, did, if there's one position besides quarterback, you really, 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 really need the blue chip talent, which I love Brandon Scherf to death, but I was screaming for someone like Shane Ray last year. It's pass rusher. You need the guy who can, like I said, play like a bat out of hell and just his one mission is to solely get after the quarterback and destroy him. And, um, you know, it's obnoxiously early to start thinking about the 2017 draft, but in a draft where there's a bunch of really good ones, I would love to see them address this position next year, galette or no galette. But that's another conversation for another day. Well, that's That was one of the things I was disappointed about this draft was – no pass um, rushers. They they got no pass rushers and they got no 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 big boys to fill the uh, vacancy in the middle. So let's go straight into that. Great segue, John. Um, if there's a weakness, I would say on this defense, it's in my opinion, it's the defensive line. We, you know, Absolutely. We, just, we just got done talking about the pass rusher, but at least there's Kerrigan, at least there's Smith, as we said. Um, so Chris we just- Baker's good, but you know he's not getting any younger, and he's he and he's no all pro. Swaggy Baker had his best season. As a Redskin of his career, frankly, because his entire career has been a Redskin last year. I call me ridiculous or call this, you know, emotional touchy feely. I have, I think it had a huge reason or a huge reason for that was playing alongside Terrence Knighton, who, as we were saying before the recording started, um, I was really disappointed to see leave. It's one thing that, you know, having Terrence Knighton as a nose tackle helps free him up, puts Baker at his natural 3-4 position. But Baker and Knighton were best friends. Like, if right. you're a happy employee, you're going to be a more productive employee. That's just the world, the rule of the corporate working world, even if it's not the corporate world. And I think having Knighton there, he was a big proponent of getting him there. You know, they were really happy together. Knighton did, whether or not he had weight problems and whether he liked to eat a lot during the season, Knighton did provide that veteran type of presence on the defensive line, in the locker room. Um, I know he didn't necessarily play to the shape or was in the playing shape that he wanted, that the team wanted him to be in. I just think it was a really disappointing to see him leave. We kind of, we, but the team kind of under uh, lowballed him and said, you know, you need to get in shape if you really want to play here, and this is your take it or leave it offer. And I really feel like a team like New England is going to go and maximize him. In my season, preview, season preview that I'm writing, I feel like he is going to be, exactly what they lost in in Vince Wilfork. No, I totally agree. And and he's but that's the caliber of player they could have had here and and they let it go and it's not like he was going to break the bank either. No, he wasn't. It wasn't in especially with some of the contracts that were being thrown around in this past free agency period. No, he was not going to be a break the bank type of player. All he really needed was someone to be like, "Look, we know you were fat last season. Just get your ass in shape. You're welcome here." And for whatever reason, and I know Joe Barry said that we want someone with more versatility along the defensive line, and we don't need a true nose tackle in his hybrid 3-4-4-3, whatever you want to call a defense. I'm sorry. I'm more of an old-school purist in that sense. You want a big, fat, strong body in the middle of your defense. And I would be a lot more comfortable rolling into this season with a defensive line that looked like Baker, Paya, and Knighton in the middle versus Baker, Paya, and a guy who's always been a solid guy but never anything a move-the-needle guy in Kedrick Golston as your nose tackle. Well, that's why like in the draft I was kind of hoping they were going to take one of the Alabama guys or – 
uh, the, the guy from Baylor. Yeah, Andrew Billings. We were Andrew all Bill- over that, who inexplicably, and we were both talking about this you know, after the draft happened, like Cincinnati got themselves a steal. I know there's some bullshit bogus medical knee issue. I, I think it's just one of those overblown things, and it got it got to be out of control. He's going to turn out to be a steal for them. It's just that's another one of those players who drops for no reason, and it's going to work out. Um, we drop because everybody's like, oh, he can only play two downs. So? Exactly. That's two damn good downs you get out of him. It's better than getting a guy that never sees the field. Precisely. So that's – I mean I, I did happen to like you know their uh, third round pick when they when they took Kendall Fuller. Kendall Fuller was a great pick. I, I, I mean the one, two, three, Dachshund, Sua Cravens, and, and Kendall Fuller. You can't, you can't, can't complain. can't on any of those three picks. But um, I was really hoping to see maybe an A'shaun Robinson or Jaron Reed fall into their lap. Even Reggie Ragland right. actually um, – any Alabama bias I might have aside, like I was really hoping to see them fall into the Redskins pick in the second round. Jaron Reed reminds me a lot of what Jay Ratliff used to provide to the Dallas Cowboys. Um, you know, he's not the biggest guy in the world, but just holds the point of attack so well. Ashawn would have been a nice three, four, I think defensive end. Um, Raglan, God, I, I, I just dreamed of the idea of, of him playing next to Will Compton and it would have been such a nice pairing of linebackers. But, you know, those, all three of those guys were gone by the second round or by our second round pick. So it didn't happen. But, you know, they along the defensive line, like, okay, Trent Murphy's bulked up. He's at 290 pounds. By all accounts, he looks good. He's still moving with the same fluidity that he had at, you know, the 265 pounds or whatever he was before he kind of bulked up. And he's got the strength. He had a couple of nice practices over the weekend. He was There were some reports he was actually even giving Trent Williams problems because he has the same strength because the guy is country strong. And right. he's always had that. And he can hold the point of attack. And now that he's got a little more size to him, like he's – even stronger in that capacity. But past that, like Ricky Jean Francois is a really nice player, but he's more of one of those like rotational solid locker room guys, not going to move the needle for you again, but he's just going to give you in his rotations, a, a strong effort and play well for you. Kendall Reyes is, is a guy, he's a body, he's a rotation guy. I know that he's in there because he has a connection with Joe Barry, but he's a guy um, Jarrell Poe and Ziggy Hood are, again, they're training camp bodies. Ziggy Hood has some upside, but I don't know really how much upside there is. And He's just, a complete project, and if he does nothing, it's it's a no, low cost, low risk, maybe minor reward if, if he even makes the roster. Exactly. Uh, yeah, exactly. And then Matt Ioannidis, I think there's a fifth-round pick out of Temple. Nice pick, not ready yet. Going to be a rotational guy. Just He's just not there yet. So if there is a weak link, and ironically the defense kind of progressively gets stronger and stronger from here, but um, for a guy whose MO in McLuhan is supposed to be building from the lines out, this is probably one of the more distressing units on the team. Uh, I would say probably the second most distressing unit on the team next to running back, which we'll cover in the offensive podcast. But um, to me, that's the most distressing part of the team. But Yeah, the defensive line definitely worries me the most. It's one. It's well and good to have a great secondary and great outs on linebackers, but you don't want to be consistently playing in you know third and short situations because then it basically negates that the whole time. And having a team where Dallas is going to try to run the ball on you, and well, the Giants in Philadelphia are kind of messes when it comes to the running game. But at least when you have when they're lining up against Dallas and having that mammoth offensive line run it down your throat doesn't give me a whole lot of warm and fuzzy feelings matching up against these guys. You no, can't expect that performance out of Baker. You can't expect Trent Murphy to all of a sudden be an all-star five-technique defensive end. Like, um, 
you can't expect Murphy to be that. You can't, you know, Baker gave you his best season last year. Pyle looks like he's primed for a bounce back year. He had a lot of injuries, but you know, a couple of bodies would have been really nice here. So hopefully that's something they can either address in the future or get really damn lucky with a training camp body. Making this themselves this goes back to the whole problem of when, you know, McLuhan inherited the team was he inherited a team that uh, didn't draft well. And, and now they're paying the price of, you know, that it's going to take a little bit more time for them to continue to build this roster the way that they want it to fit this team. And it, you know, it can't, can't quite happen overnight like we all wish it would. Yeah. Um, moving on to outside linebacker, we touched on this when we were talking about Galette, but right now you've got Ryan Kerrigan. Um, Ryan Kerrigan right now, probably even more than Kirk Cousins is the Redskins franchise guy or the most recognizable player. I think I should take that back. Kirk Cousins probably stole that mantle in the second half of the season last year, but at least going into the season, Ryan Kerrigan was Mr. Redskin. Um, Yes, definitely has the seniority level, you know, because he, he's he's been here the longest. He's been and he's just been consistently good, and he hasn't missed a whole lot of time. The one thing that I love about Kerrigan is high energy, nose clean, the type of guy you want, you know, your daughter to date, all of that fun stuff. Um, the guy you want representing your franchise, but at the same time, he's not quite in that upper echelon elite outside. Well, he doesn't have the physical rusher talent but what he does is he doesn't mess up like he just knows where to be when to be there and and he never you know makes these catastrophic mistakes he's always no he plays football the right way textbook and uses the strength that he does have to um you know overcome the defenders and and make plays and that's going back to again the galette point that look kerrigan is he is your perfect Batman to Superman, if you will, using the uh, the NBA metaphor that, you know, your number two guy. Um, Galette had more of the pure, raw explosion off the line or just that something X-Factor you can't teach that, you know, the types of guys in the league like a Von Miller or a Khalil Mack or some of the really elite pass rushers had that just that explosion off the line. Kerrigan's got everything you want from the effort, the strength, the pass rushing technique, the refinement, he's got all of those things, but just a step below in that burst off the line. But yes, to your point, he does everything right. He's not going to cost you anything. Uh, the first eight games last year, eight-ish, you could see that he was still kind of recovering from the injury. I think he had arthroscopic knee surgery before the season started. He wasn't quite the same, but as the defense came along in the second half of the season, you really started to see Kerrigan uh, raise some hell alongside Preston Smith. So... Going into this season healthy, I think it's going to be really big for Kerrigan. Um, like I said, I would love to see somebody else in, in the rotation, but at least having him and whatever upside we're getting from Preston Smith is going to be really nice. And again, past that, there's not a whole bunch, whether it's through the draft or just undrafted guys, like a Houston Bates, like a Shiro Davis, like a Willie Jefferson. Anything we get out of them, that's mustard. Right. Well, and and then one last point on Kerrigan, though, is you don't have to worry about him beating up women on a beach. Yeah. Yeah. There was a couple of people who weren't Redskins fans when every time I was trying to express some lament about Junior Collette, they're like, well, maybe you can go beat someone else about it. And I'm like, yeah, I can't. Yeah. That one. It's still an ugly look. Yeah. So who, who, again, you know, who wants the guy coming off two Achilles injuries and still has a potential PR mess. It just hasn't, you know, come out because he hasn't played. Yeah. So nobody, 
Nobody talks about him because he doesn't see the field. And nobody talks about him because he doesn't see the field. No one wants to take on that PR mess, as you just said. So I think Gillette's really only recourse is to hope is to sign another one-up deal with Washington and hope he can, you know, resurrect his career in 2017. Um, closing the point on Kerrigan. Kerrigan had three and a half sacks in the first eight games last year, two of which came out against Atlanta. In the last eight games, he had six and a half sacks, or sorry, six sacks, six of his nine and a half. So nice way to close the season. Uh, he had a sack in five of the last eight games, two against the Giants, which is always endearing to my heart. So strong way to uh, close the season and hopefully keeps it going through 2017, 16. Not going that far ahead. Inside linebacker, um, I love Will Compton. I'm sure you feel the same way, given that he's a scrappy white guy who just, you know, overperforms and was overlooked. But uh, next to him, like I said, Reggie Ragland would have looked real nice in the second round. But Sua Cravens, I'll take it, especially because a lot of people are uh, saying very positive things about him. But How much least, is he going to play? I th- it's That's a really interesting I thought point. he was more of a, a corner you know, dime type linebacker. Cause they're like, well, he can, he can, you know, he can cover the, the tight ends and he can stuff the run if he has to, cause he's got the size and the speed, but I don't, I didn't see him at least in this first year as an every down player. And to that point, exactly. It's interesting that they're officially kind of getting him started at inside linebacker, which right. to your point, there were, you know, he was kind of the, the new high uh, nickel linebacker or, you know, dime linebacker type of position, what Dion Buchanan in Arizona is making popular or what everyone's trying to copy and what kind of Kaishan Jarrett did a little bit of last year. Um, yeah, they're starting him at inside linebacker and at least teaching him that position before kind of force feeding him more and more versatile looks. So, but for now, it's still Will Compton and Mason Foster as the inside linebackers in the starting unit, and then maybe Perry Riley swapping out with the Foster. Team. If he makes the team, um, I know he's still kind of rehabbing from an injury at the moment. Uh, Foster, actually, people don't realize he was really good. Or he had a he had a strong close of the season as well. He was. He was uh, excellent. He actually he played really well. He he finished second on the team with forty one tackles over the last six games. He started. He started. He got into the starting lineup against in the Dallas Monday night game, that awful, awful loss. And since then, him and Foster, uh, him and Compton played really well together. So there's there. Perry Riley, even if he does enter the starting lineup this year, barring some miracle, I think he's on the books for another $4 million this year. He's a salary cap, and he's off the books after that, so he's not coming back. And again, with you know drafting Sua Cravens, if he start, comes into the, uh, in the starting lineup at inside linebacker, that's where he's going to play there. Or they've got Stephen Daniels, who I was one of their late draft picks, Martrell Spate, who is a player from last year's draft. They've got that, and I could very well see them upgrading the position either in free agency or the draft next year. Um, a position, but, where but I don't. But it's not something I'm worried about this exactly. year because I know that Compton and Foster are more than capable. Of- exactly, like they're not. This isn't. There's no big names here, but there's nothing to worry about. Exactly to your point, they're then, all steady, competent players, and. At least, I mean, Riley was somewhat of a injury risk, so having or you know doing boneheaded things risk. Yeah, so having Foster as you know your your backup or potentially your starter is is not a bad thing. And what they lack in quote unquote athleticism or ability to cover the tight ends, that's what we're going to see out of Cravens. That's exactly what Cravens brings in. So if you're playing against, um, you know. 
a Zach Ertz in Philadelphia, or if you're playing against a Jason Witten in Dallas, you know, you're going to have someone who is a little more capable of running with those guys. And that's, that's a really nice look that Cravens is going to bring because Riley was definitely getting owned when he was trying to cover those guys one-on-one. He's getting smoked. Yeah. Foster doesn't necessarily have that Compton for as well as he played. And he played, made a lot of great plays last year. Probably not still the guy you want that he's probably more of the guy you want calling, you know, running the defense, playing close to the line of scrimmage. So adding that level of versatility with Cravens, I'm, I really, really like Cravens. The more you read about him, guy idolizes Sean Taylor. I love his attitude. Yeah, guy, I mean, he is, and I hate the cliche that everyone keeps using over and over, especially with McLuhan, but he really is a football player type, and it's he's just a really nice addition. Um, like I said, after seeing all the Alabama guys go, and you're a little disappointed, and then when they the ticker came along in the draft that they took Sua Cravens, I'm like, nice pick. That's a that's a very solid pick. Uh, one of the top 40, 45 guys in most people's draft boards. So really like that one. Um, it's just a matter of developing right and feeding him as much as he can take in. But I think that's going to work out to be a really nice selection. He's like the one player that I'm really looking forward to seeing in preseason because I, I just want to see what he can do. He's, like, like, he can do almost anything. He really can. I mean, he's got, like, I think he's in the 230 range. Let's see what he's officially listed at. So he can still play closer to the line of scrimmage. I mean, I know 230 is on the lighter side, but, um, yeah, 230, or sorry, he's listed at 225. So, yeah, it's a little bit on the lighter side, but, I mean, with the way the game is moving and the way the speed is played at, I don't really think that matters that much anymore outside of being able to hold up. So he can still play closer to the line of scrimmage, but at the same time, he's the size of a good DB, and he's got the speed. So, yeah, exciting player, looking forward to seeing what he can do. Absolutely. But, interestingly, last season cornerback was one of their biggest weaknesses and ironically entering this season i think it was pro football focus who kind of rated the redskins uh group as the third 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 best group of cornerbacks in the league and i think actually rightfully so obviously josh norman comes in bashad breland again second half of the season really really played well and through all accounts in training camp is having a really really good first few days and then behind it, it's interesting because Quentin Dunbar was a project and played really well during the stretch of the season. But he looked awesome. He looked great. Made a couple and of. He looked plays. really good in the in the playoffs against uh, Green Bay. Right. We talked about Kendall Fuller. Kendall Fuller. There was a lot of talk leading up to the draft that well, first you know he was coming off the I think he had a meniscus tear in his first or second game at Tech after he got absolutely smoked by Michael Thomas in the opening Ohio State game. Um, Tours meniscus was missed the entire season. Everyone was trying to figure out where his injury status went or where his injury status was at. And then as the off season progressed or as the draft season progressed, he started creeping closer and closer back up to the first round. So to see him go in the third round or being taken the third round, there was great value there. And Greg Toller, who was another quiet under the radar signing was a starting cornerback for Indianapolis last year. So that's five good corners right there. And that's not even counting guys like DeShazer Everett and Deshaun Phillips, who they really like, like that's young talent, undrafted talent who they are high on. And if I don't even know if they can put him on the practice squad, because I think guys like that are going to get snatched up. Yeah, and then the other guys, you know, Will Will Blackman actually played reasonably well for them at corner. And then, you know, D'Angelo Hall, they they both are now being forced to safety because that's the only way that they're playing on this team. Yeah, and it's it, it's going to be really fun to watch because outside of – so everyone knows about the Norman-Beckham rivalry. Outside of 
Beckham and Des Bryant in the division, there's not really that many receivers to get to get uh, to worry well, about the, or say. Yeah, you know, Philly really doesn't have anything that scares you their, right now. Their wide receivers are a hot mess at the moment. I mean, I like Jordan Matthews. I think he's going to be he's going to be nice as a slot receiver, especially with his size. But I. I I honestly don't think they're going to win more than five games. I'm not a Carson Wentz guy whatsoever. And um, I love all the photos of Tony Romo that are coming into training camp, but that really bad photo that someone took. It's, and he looks Is that photoshopped? It's not. It's actually a real photo. He's that fat. But it, it said it's just a really bad angle. And it's like, in that case, the camera added 30 pounds. But um, they're like, he's not really that fat, but it's not. I mean, I don't much. expect him to be, you know, Mr. Sixpack or anything like that. I. I expect him to have a little bit of a pudge belly because, you know, he is, what, 38 or... He's, he's getting up there. He's getting up there and, uh, you know, he's not, you know, and I, I just don't see him as a, a guy that's, you know, out there doing wind sprints. He just sits in the pocket and hucks the ball down the field. He, he doesn't need to be in, you know, uh, tip-top shape. Tony Romo's 36. Yeah. Well, you know, 36-year-old guys, they can have a little pudge belly. Um, a lot of people kind of hate on Norman. They're like, oh, he's overrated and he's a product of the defense or whatever last year. And I'm like, yeah, you know, Carolina had a really nice front seven, and I get why the argument was there. But you He also made plays, though. He was really good, and a lot of people look at the interception totals like, well, he only had four interceptions last year. I'm like, that really— Yeah, that's because nobody threw at him. Exactly. That doesn't mean a goddamn thing. And nobody threw, him. period, against them. Because they so, didn't get that many downs. He led the league. He only allowed 51% of the passes his his way to be caught. His total passer rating when teams threw at him was 54, which was the best among all NFL cornerbacks. He was getting the Richard Sherman treatment last year. So, yes, he's not going to put up these massive interception totals or passes defended total because basically he was just shutting down receivers. Right. My biggest fear when the initial signing was – Please, please don't let this be a Namdi Asamoah situation where we take a guy who's good at one thing and throw him in a completely wrong system and he just falls flat on his face. But by all accounts, I'm, he's going to be in a very similar system in Washington that he was in Carolina. Carolina so, played a much more – a more complex version of the cover three that Washington plays. Actually, there's a couple of NFL analysts who are like, Washington plays the most basic vanilla cover three type defense – which is going to be perfectly suited to Norman's strengths. It's not it, – it, the Namdi Asim was a great you know, concern or a val- very valid concern. They're like, no, it's not like turning a zone corner into a man guy or a man guy into a zone corner. Right. Um, you know, it, it's, it's a very similar transition. Um, even Norman said like it's actually going to let him allow, allow him to use his athleticism a little more versus the more robotic – um, you know, do this and nothing else type of situation that he's playing under in Carolina. So, yeah, it's not going to be uh, – the Namdi Asamoah thing, or even trying to make, I hate to use this example, but like trying to make Albert Hainsworth a nose tackle when he's a 4-3 defensive tackle, things like that. Well, the other thing that I love about Josh Norman is that big old chip that's still on his shoulder. Yeah. And it just, you know, he, he's, he's, he just keeps adding to that list, you know. Oh, you know, undrafted, okay, I can play in this league. Works harder, works harder. Oh, I'm not all pro, I can play in this league, come on. And then now Carolina going, you know what? You're really not a franchise tag guy. You're not worth that money. I'm not worth that money. Yeah, I think he's. I think he's going to try to show people. I mean, he needs help, though. I mean, you, you can't expect him to do everything. But I, I definitely don't. I don't. I don't predict a flop. I predict. I predict him to have a very, uh, very good 
season. Um, maybe maybe not all pro level season, but I expect him to be very respectable. Yeah, I don't. The all pro might be a little bit of a stretch, just because he did have a hell of a season last year. Um, one quick fact check: he was a fifth round pick, not quite under. Oh, sorry, but close enough. But yeah, um, I'm not necessarily saying he's going to be back in the Patrick Peterson, Richard Sherman type of conversation. Um, I think that would be lofty. If he is, I'm certainly not complaining against it. But the whole, We're in real like, good shape. Yeah, I, I, the whole like, oh, he's overrated conversation I think is completely garbage. Um, I do enjoy the potential rivalry of him versus Odell Beckham for the next however many years. I think that's going to be a ton of fun to watch. I don't, for the record, and I'm in no way, shape, or form a Giants apologist, but I don't think Odell Beckham is a good matchup for him because – as some of the reports are coming out in training camp that like Norman is so used to facing receivers like a Julio Jones and Mike Evans and Vincent Jackson and Marquez Cole. Massive receivers. Year, the really big, strong receivers. And all those Norman, guys are six, five and up. Exactly. And Norman being six foot long arms, 200 pounds. Like that's kind of the guy he matches up with. And with an Odell Beckham, who's five ten, you know, maybe 200 pounds, but lightning fast, insane acceleration. That's the type of receiver that is going to give him problems. So I love the idea of Norman backing um, Norman playing one on one with Des Bryant and just erasing his ass from the game because that's the type of receiver he'll match up with perfectly. And he basically did on that uh, that Thanksgiving Day game against Dallas. He just took him out. Granted, Dallas didn't even have a quarterback worth a damn. But I think it will be great there. Um, I, I'm a little worried that Odell is going to give Norman some trouble. But if nothing else, as you were talking about before the the pod started. He'll get in his head, and he's he's right. gonna he's gonna piss him off. Maybe draw a couple of stupid penalties, and I'll take it from there. Right? Yeah. No, I'm I'm really looking forward to this matchup. But I I think as we talked about um, before this podcast was Deshaun Jackson's giving him some work in training camp. Yep. And I think that's really going to help prepare him. Uh, for, even though Odell Beckham, I think, is way better than Deshaun Jackson. Unfortunately. Um, yes. In, in the way that he can just catch everything that's thrown his way, but Jackson's I, Jackson's still, I think, faster. Oh, yeah. I, I don't think there are five receivers in the league that are faster than Deshaun Jackson. So, I mean, this is excellent work for him to to get used to that matchup. So, I mean, it, but I do I do project probably the, the first time they play the Giants, I think Beckham's going to own them. Yeah, I think Beckham is going to give him hell. And I think there's going to be a lot of hype on that. And I think there's going to definitely be some fisticuffs but I do think Beckham it'll be scrappy. Gonna, Beckham is going to get his. But to the flip side, not to be overlooked, I love the fact that Bashad Breland's not afraid of Beckham either. And no, Breland, Bashad Breland's a beast. He really is, and like he gets overlooked because of the Norman signing. But I feel like Breland could be primed for a really big season. And again, not big statistics wise, but just performance wise, he played he played awesome over the stretch run of last year, and I think that's going to continue, especially being kind of the overlooked guy and to your point about the chip on the shoulder, I think he's going to carry a lot of that into this season as well. And that's really exciting. And I, I would venture that I can't really think of off the top of my head, a better pair of cornerbacks. Maybe if you want to look at like Arizona, if you count Tyron Matthew and Patrick Peterson off the top of my head and then the guys in Denver, but as far as a one and a two, it's a really formidable duo not to mention all the the the, uh, the depth guys we just rattled off, but right. I, that's really really encouraging to see. Yeah, no, it's it's amazing because like last year we all were freaking out about the the secondary, and this year it it's the the strength of the defense. Now the the question is, what 
what the hell are we going to get out of the safeties? Yeah, that's that, that's absolutely the question. So we were, as we were talking about before, okay, they had they moved D'Angelo Hall to safety. Um, Which I liked. It's a, it's a good move. It prolongs his career. It's a little bit of the what Rod Woodson did and a little bit of what I think Eric Allen did and those types of veterans, not to put necessarily D'Angelo Hall in that category, but it's going to help extend his career a little bit. Um, starting safe, strong safety right now is David Bruton, who is a, like a glorified, you know, everyone's really excited about him and he just kind of reminds me of a glorified version of what Jaron Johnson was from Seattle. Everyone's like, oh, Jaron Johnson, he's a Seattle guy, and it turned out to be a big, fat flop. Now, I'm not saying David Bruton's going to be like that, but he did come from the Denver system. He just did win a Super Bowl ring. Everyone says he's a great special teams guy. Um, he's going to bring the intangibles. Now, what he brings on the field is still the $64,000 question, but that's what Well, the got. thing is he actually did get playing time last year in Denver right? Um, outside of special teams, and, and, he, and he played well, and he has that – No, nobody wants to – Unless you're what Steve Tasker, you don't want to be known as a special teams guy. You want to be right. known as something more, and, and that's kind of what his sentiment is. He this is his opportunity to shine, and so if he works his ass off in training camp, so that's like the big storyline for for the safety position is to see what he does because if he can, uh, you know, put in the work and 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 shows that he is ready to start in the NFL, he could be a good find. Behind them, there's Will Blackman, who we were saying was a pretty solid corner last year, given that he was basically someone they picked up off the street. Not even basically, he literally was someone they got off the street and wasn't even in, in the NFL. And they turned him into a really effective corner. And then transitioning him to safety could be really nice depth behind Hall. And then past that, there's really not much. There's Ianacho who... What do they expect out of Ian Nacho? I don't know. He's another, he's kind of like Galette in the sense that he keeps getting injured and he keeps coming back and we're keep signing him, but like he's you know, he's there and they like him, but he I don't remember injured. ever seeing him play. Exactly. He, he, I think he's played a few games, but as you said is completely Im- not memorable. And then behind them there's only Gino Matias Smith who is an undrafted free agent from Alabama in this past draft and that's it. Um you know seeing Kaishon Jarrett or having Kaishon Jarrett would have been really nice. And as a Virginia, fellow Virginia Tech alums and the two of us, seeing what happened to him is really sad. And uh, it's it's even worse because it's not just, okay, an injury that led to him being released, but it's actually a quality of life injury for him. Like his arm is not functioning. There's some messed up nerve damage. And it was a really strange and kind of gruesome injury when it happened in week 17 in Dallas. Like it was just really weird to watch. He, he kind of got like dead arm for the entire game and like it just it didn't look right and from all accounts like there was never any positive news and from when he got released last week they're like he can't even really use that arm like we're trying to figure out quality of life first let alone football strength so um he was that's just terrible he was really really good in that dime linebacker type of role last year that they kind of put him in and um in in special teams He, he played really well and it would have been a lot more encouraging to have him there, as I said. But um, get well soon to him, irrespective of football or not. But other than that, I mean, we'll get, we'll have Hall, whatever we get out of Bruton. Hopefully, Ianacho gives you something. Who knows? And right. uh, Blackman's there if Hall goes down again. He's not one to necessarily stay healthy for 16 games. But past that, this could be a little bit of a problem. But now, it's, Redskins.com is listing DeShazer Everett as a safety. They are listing DeShazer Everett as a safety? That's what they're showing. Okay, so I'll take it. 
I thought he right. was one of the DBs, which is fine because that means there's just more depth at the safety position. Or if they want to flex him at safety, and well, I think that's where he they had a that that's a that's a place they could stash him exactly. So I'm fine with that because you still got Norman Breland, Toller, Dunbar, and Fuller as your corners, and then maybe Deshaun Phillips as a practice squad guy. So I'm quite fine with that. So um, again, the secondaries, you know, it's not bad. We'll see what the safeties do. Yeah, as long as they stay healthy, I think more than anything else, we don't need them to be Earl Thomas and Cam Chancellor. Like that would be wonderful, but they're not. Well, we- we know we can't get that out of them. Exactly. We just need them to be competent and maybe you know help keep traffic in front of them and let the corners do their job or at least give them some support. But yeah, I mean, last year the Redskins ended up being 25th in the league against the pass. I don't think with Norman there, with Breland there, with the depth that they have, that's going to be the same thing. If they can just get to average, I think the offense, which we're going to talk about in part two um, – will put up enough points by and large to where it's just one of those things where like just don't allow the other team to score 40 on us or have the have the football all game long. Yeah, I mean I mean the the biggest problem for the team period is just the schedule so yeah. so hard. I, and I, there are I, just so many difficult matchups. There's a lot of other teams I would rather play in week 1 besides Pittsburgh. I don't want to play Pittsburgh. The last thing I want to do is start off the season playing um, I'd Brown. almost rather play them on the road too. Yeah, because you know they're going to own FedEx. It's 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 going to be a travesty. Um, they're going to come to town, and it's going to be seventy five percent Steelers fans in the stadium, and it's going to be a goddamn national mockery because the ESPN is going to be there. It's opening weekend, and FedEx Field is going to be all black and yellow, and it's going to be so bad. Yeah, it's because you know Redskins fans uh, are no better than to try and get to to uh, FedEx Field. Um, on uh, Monday night, on on, a, on rush hour Monday night for um, seven ten kickoff. But you know the the Pittsburgh fans, they they'll they'll be out. They're they're taking off work. You know they're going to be tailgating at nine in the morning. This is this will be a, a whole big event for them. I think especially, Pittsburgh fans are going to be tailgating from Friday. Probably, probably. So yeah, I mean it's it, it's going to and there's so many Steelers fans. Well, everywhere. But particularly in the D.C. area, there's just so damn many of them. And it's only three and a half hours away anyway. Right. So you, I don't think you could pay me to go to that game. No, that's another one. It's going to be miserable. I mean, you're, as a Redskins fan, you'd be a minority. Right. But So then they got Steelers, Cowboys, Giants, Browns. Hopefully you come out of that two and two, you know. Yeah, I'm a lot more comfortable with what it, the next four games after that. But you know, playing against the Steelers, playing against the Cowboys, who are going to have Tony Romo back, we're going to have Ezekiel Elliott, who are going to have an offensive line that could be even better than it was last season. Des Bryant is healthy, whatever they get after the garbage of the receivers they have after Des Bryant, whatever. Um, Jason, the only the but, only scary offenses they play is going to be Pittsburgh minus Le'Veon Bell, which you know they have uh, D'Angelo Williams, so that's not not terrible for them. They'll they'll be just fine. Um, the Packers and then whatever the Giants can put together as far as an offense. I think the Giants are going to be a lot better this year. Don't sleep on the Cardinals either. I think they've yeah, that's true too. Left. So playing in Arizona. Oh, and is, and Carolina towards the end of the season. I don't love Carolina's offense as much. As no, it, as but it's year. still it's, it's still, still Carolina. Yeah, Cammy Cam Cam. Right. Yeah, I I don't want to play against Cam Newton. No. Um, I I so getting back to the Josh Norman point and the way he plays against it, it, 
Antonio Brown is not a good matchup for him. Antonio Brown's not a good matchup for anyone, but Antonio right. Brown is not a good matchup for Josh Norman um, or Bashad Breland. That guy's a fucking monster. And playing against him... That's why he has a, a sweet Rolls Royce. Sweet Rolls Royce, amazing haircut, whatever you want to say. That guy is incredible. And he's going to get his. He's one of those guys, it's like a, you know, not to use the basketball thing, but LeBron is going to get his. It's figure out how to stop everything else because that's kind of... Um, that's Antonio Brown. The problem is that Ben Roethlisberger is really damn good too. So he's he's very good, and they have other weapons. I was going to say that Sammy Coates has had quite is quietly having a really nice uh, training camp. Marcus Wheaton could step into a really good role there. Ladarius Green. They just I was going to say, didn't they get Ladarius Green? Who yeah. you know was the heir apparent in 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 San Diego? Yeah, the problem is, he's not going anywhere. Right, but he showed some flashes that he has talent and he's athletic and he's big, and now you're putting him in a potent offense. And that offensive line is a lot better than people realize. Yeah, it's it's not going to be fun. They can put up 35 easy. And oh, absolutely. I think they're going to average 30-plus a game. Yeah, I, I'd be hard-pressed. Maybe this side of... Oh, you forgot to mention Green Bay. Um, I think Green Bay is going to be fine this year. Not the same as... as... I thought I said Green Bay, but of course. You, you, know, know, Aaron, you, might have you, never, you never... You never... Or doubt Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. If you watched his uh, his interview with with Simmons or his sit down, you know, and they they asked him about, you know, would you rather have, you know, like an A wide receiver or you know like a C wide receiver that just plays his ass off? He's like, he's like, we can make anybody look any yeah, receiver he was, look it was good. Like, would you rather have an A offensive line and C receivers? Oh, that's what or it was. A C offensive line and A receivers. He's like, give right. me the offensive line. I can make the receivers look good. Right. So I mean, say you, you can tone, never count him out. Yeah, no, 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 there's no way. The, the last time we counted him out was in the wild card game. Look how that worked out. Yeah. Yeah. So thank you for listening to today's podcast. We're going to end it there. Sorry for the abrupt conclusion, but we're going to move on to episode two in the next edition. Um, we're going to talk about that Kirk Cousins guy, and you know who we're not going to talk about for once and for all, and I hope this is the only time we'll ever mention him. In- Don't mention it. Don't even say it. All right. I'm just going to say that his name rhymes with Bobbert Friffin, the, the, the number. But, yeah, we're not <laughs> going to mention that guy's name. And talk a little bit about the receivers, the offensive line, the tight end. So thank you very much for listening to today's podcast. If you still haven't done so, shame on you. Make sure you subscribe to us on iTunes. Find us on SoundCloud. And leave us some reviews. Trying to get some reviews. Whether you like it, you don't. Feedback is always encouraged. But till next time, make sure you stay stay tuned for episode two where we cover the offense. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Hail to the District podcast. Be sure to subscribe to us on iTunes or wherever you download your podcast.